too many people, Duray, are thinking about getting ready to get ready to get ready to get ready to get ready to start instead of just getting in the game. In a time plagued by groupthink, a tribe known as the Millionites have emerged from the depths of time to alter our trajectory for the betterment of humanity. These are their chronicles. Welcome to our community, where every single week we'll study the craft of some of the most successful entrepreneurial leaders in their given area of expertise. We'll take a trip down memory lane, long before the millions, to uncover their secrets to success and how they've achieved their goals. By doing this, we can fast-track our way to success and live the life we've always dreamt of. So, whether you are looking to attain financial freedom, location independence, or reaching the millionth mark of your milestones, and more, then you've come to the right place. Stick around to find out what works, what doesn't, and how you can reach your millions. If you would like instant access to our back catalog, visit us at beforethemillions.com. And now, your host, DeRay Olaleye. What's going on, BTM community? I'm your humble host, DeRay Olaleye, and we are back for another installment. This is episode 15 now, episode 15 of the BTM podcast. You can find this episode at www.beforethemillions.com slash episode 15. And this is an exciting episode, guys. We get into a lot of lot of great things. We're talking to Matt Miller today, and Matt is an entrepreneur, and he he's made a living off gumballs, guys. He's made a living off vending machines and, and stickers, and it's, it's a fascinating story. I, I can't wait to get into it. But first, a couple laundry list items. This year is going by incredibly fast. Like, it's already August, and, you know, one thing that really gets me excited about August is the fact that football's back fantasy football's back well texans can't wait for the season to start if you need an extra player if you're looking for an extra extra guy in fantasy team i got you just let me know as long as you know and everybody else in your league knows that y'all are willing to take that l yeah add me to the roster i'm definitely looking to join one or two more teams so there's that hey join our facebook group we're growing, we're evolving, um, a lot of new things coming out on, in the group, a lot of new things coming out on the website. So be on the lookout for for a lot of changes coming up. We're trying to be more efficient and we're trying to provide high quality content and better content. So we're always revamping and trying to better serve our audience. If you haven't already, please share this podcast with a friend, have them share a podcast with a friend, and that's how we can grow our thriving community. And also, Last but not least, if you're looking to jump into the real estate game and you are in a financially stable position or looking to get into a financially stable position, the best way I know how is through house hacking and have a free ebook, a free resource on how to get started house hacking. All you have to do is visit beforethemillions.com slash book or just send an email to info at beforethemillions.com and the subject line title that email live free and you'll get a book automatically to your inbox and you can kind of start learning some of the ways that you can leverage your living situation to exponentially start building your snowball and growing your wealth that way. So definitely check that out. 
We're going to keep the intro short for today, guys. I know you guys are super excited to get into the show. I know I am. So let's go ahead and jump into it. I'll see you guys on the other side. We recommend only the best books on this show. With that being said, we can understand the urge to read the last book you've heard an entrepreneur get excited about. Well, guess what? You can go read it right now. We've partnered with Audible, an Amazon company that produces high-quality audiobooks. Together, we are offering, and for free, a 30-day trial and one free book as soon as you sign up. So, if you've been eyeing a certain book but haven't quite been able to pull the trigger yet, we'd love to cover the cost for you. Just visit audibletrial.com slash before the millions to start reading or listening to your next free book. The link is also in the show notes of this episode at beforethemillions.com. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Today, I'd like to welcome Matt Miller to the show. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Hey, DeRay, man. This is cool. Good to be chatting to you on this early Friday morning, for sure. I know, right? I know. Matt, Matt where are you based out of right now? I'm in a little town called Stephenville, Texas, which is about an hour and a half southwest of Fort Worth. I call it E-I-E-I-O, man. Out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Well, Matt's early career, or in Matt's early career, Matt was an Air Force pilot and an advertising executive. In 2007, Matt started his franchise company, School Spirit Vending, which has to date raised over $4 million dollars. And that that $4 million is in the educational niche, I'm presuming, right? Yes. Okay. So SSV, School Spirit Vending, provides a proven, profitable business system for professionals looking to develop secondary income streams. So in other words, Matt, you are partnering with investors and these investors are achieving some type of return for a piece of your business, correct? Well, I'm actually partnering with franchisees and then they're seeing a return from their specific business underneath the SSV umbrella. So it's really neat. They end up owning their piece of what we do. And then we spend a lot of time teaching, training, educating, and providing the support for them to successfully run their business in, in their part of the country. Okay. That's fascinating stuff. And I can't get wait to get into a lot of that. But let's give the listeners a backstory, Matt. Let's figure out how you've been able to take a gumball, which is worth what these days, 25 cents, 50 cents, how you've been taking, been able to take a gumball and kind of, you know, use that to snowball your living, which I think is fascinating. So let's maybe start from the beginning and, and talk about, you know, early Matt's career and what your mindset was and what you were doing and kind of how this all transpired. I grew up in the Chicago area, ended up going to the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, Colorado for college and getting out of the academy was blessed to have the opportunity to go on to pilot training and ended up being a pilot in the Air Force for nine years. Along the way, I loved what I did. I traveled around the world. I did all kinds of cool and crazy things at a pretty young age. Uncle Sam entrusted me with multi-million dollar airplanes, you know, in my early 20s. And it was it was crazy. But along the way, I also realized that the government program of advancement is primarily geared towards time and service. And it's not really geared as much towards actual performance. And so as time went on, it didn't matter if I was the hardest worker in the room or the biggest slug in the room, we all got paid the same if we had all been around the same period of time. And to be honest, that frustrated me. I was looking for a way that I could do stuff on my own, 
could have more control over my income and really, you know, take advantage of and benefit from the American dream that we all hear about growing up. So when my commitment was up, I moved off into the the corporate world, thought things would be better there. I spent some time in the hospital medical industry, selling blood testing equipment for about a year and a half, and then ended up going into the advertising space where I spent nearly a decade. Had a blast doing both of those things, ended up being a top performer at both companies, but realized very quickly that with publicly traded companies, the real focus for the company is the stockholders. It's not the employees. And there were some decisions that were made along the way, completely out of my control, that put my family into a really, really bad place financially. And so all I had to do is look at the comp plan corporately and realize there's no chance of me working myself out of that hole anytime soon. So that's when the entrepreneurial juice has kind of got flowing. Initially, I didn't know what to do. I collected aluminum cans for a while down in the Houston area and, and sold them back for money. I collected books and was one of the early Amazon sellers selling books and that type of thing out of my garage for several years. But I had read Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad, DeRay, and even though those things provided income that my family needed to keep a roof over our heads, I was looking for more than that. I was looking for a way to have control over my life, have control over time and money, and in the process, eventually be able to do my own thing completely and call my own shots. And was at church one Sunday, a good buddy of mine mentioned that he and his daughters had bought some gumball machines and they had placed them in local area businesses. And it was something they could do together and make a little bit of money and learn a little bit about business. And I was like, man, gumball machines might really be the way to go. They don't cost a lot. The machine is out doing its thing and it would enable me to continue my career. And so I did some research, found my first used candy and gumball machine from a guy across Houston. And one Saturday morning with my two young kids, we hopped in my 98 Honda Accord and drove across town to pick that machine up. And my vending journey started there. I found a location that was a karate studio in Kingwood, Texas, which is a suburb of Houston we lived in at the time, and was just excited to see if this whole vending thing would really work. And normally, the service cycle for a vending machine like that is, you know, four to six to eight weeks. But after two weeks, I was chomping at the bit wondering, okay, is this thing really going to work? Because I'd never used those machines. My kids had never used those machines. And so I went by this karate studio on a Thursday evening. It was packed with kids there for karate lessons and put the key in the machine, opened the thing up and quarters spilled out all over the floor. And I was like, holy smokes, people do use these things. And that was the beginning, man. We started cash flowing equipment after equipment after equipment as we had money to do it. And things just kind of took off from there. Matt, that's amazing. And I can't wait to kind of, you know, dissect the story a little bit. So let's let's start from from where you started. You you were you were in the Air Force and, you know, you you realized while you were in the Air Force that, you know, your success was contingent on 
how long you were there rather than how hard you worked. And you didn't like that model. So you quickly moved into the corporate America space in order to, I guess, tweak things a little bit, change things, and maybe create more of a lifestyle that you wanted. And, you know, even in that process, you had multiple corporate jobs, one in the in the medical field and one as an advertising executive. And, you know, with both of those, you, you kind of still still weren't in the right spot. You weren't getting to, I guess, the goals that you were looking to get to. You had maybe some hardship and things along the way. And, you know, during this time of hardship, how did you get introduced to the to the Rich Dad Poor Dad Robert Kiyosaki book? You know, we were doing a little stuff, multi-level marketing type stuff. And I think it was there where I was exposed to his book. And man, it was life-changing because everything that I had been brought up and taught my entire life was trade time for money. Go to school, get a good education, get a job, and you'll be taken care of. And so to read that book and to realize that there's people out there other than, you know, artists and that type of thing with their music and authors with their books that were making money, you know, while they slept, it blew my mind. And it got me thinking, okay, well, I'm not good at music and I'm not a writer, but there's got to be a way I could figure this out too. Now, my challenge was we couldn't even afford our own house at the time let alone rental properties or anything like that, because Kiyosaki primarily keys in on the real estate industry. But I could afford a gumball machine. And so that's where we started. And the income is passive, just like in real estate. It's just in a different way. And in many cases, believe it or not, a vending machine, the cash flow from it is significantly higher than real estate dollar for dollar. But it was all I had. It was the only choice I had. We were in a bad place financially. I'd gotten turned down for a payday loan not too soon before that. And you don't even need a credit rating for a payday loan. But I had had three overdraft charges on my previous month's bank statement. And so they turned me down. So here I am, you know, quote unquote, America's finest academy grad, former pilot, you know, getting turned down for a couple hundred bucks. And, you know, I, I just I needed to change that. And the only way I saw to do that was to to figure it out on my own. And that's what we ended up doing. I love that, Matt. I think I think th- those pivotal moments in our life, pivotal moments like that are, are what really define us and what really make us who we are. And I love that you were able to find a solution to your problem. So this Sunday morning or or this day that you went to church and you kind of were exposed to this business model, what made you think it would work? You know, dude, I was looking for any anything that could work. And so I was silly enough to think, man, I mean, there's gumball and candy and, and toy machines all around my area. Somebody's got to be making some money from those things. Otherwise, they wouldn't have them out there to begin with. So I was like, yeah, you know, it's going to take a lot of gumballs for me to get myself out of the hole I'm in. But the beauty of the gumball is that, you know, at the time, the markup on them was over a thousand percent. So the margins are huge. And once again, it was something I could do on the side that didn't take away from my career, which allowed me to continue to pursue my career because that was what was keeping food on the table and the roof over our head for, for me and my family of five. 
To give some context, if the markup was a thousand percent, what were you getting a single gumball for and how were you able to, to market up a thousand percent? Well, at that point in time at Sam's Club, a box of gumballs, I think there's 750 of them or 850 of them in a box. I don't remember. You know, the cost of that box when you broke it down per gumball was like two and a half cents and they sell for uh, 25 cents in the vending machine. So, you know, thousand percent markup right there. All I had to do was get the equipment and, and find a location that would be willing to have it. So let's let's dive into this business model a little bit more, Matt, before we get back to, into your life. So so I think that the location as far as, you know, this model is key. Would, would you agree? Yeah, but believe it or not, the locations that a lot of people think might be good ones aren't really necessarily so. There's a lot of locations that are completely under the radar that people would never even think of that end up being prime real estate for vending. And most people in the public never even know that they're there. So that's some of the stuff that I learned along the way through trial and error and, and by you know getting around some folks where I could that, that knew more about the industry than me. And slowly I kind of pieced together this puzzle of what a vending business can look like. And, you know, we got busy. We, did, we didn't prejudge locations. If, if I went into a location, they said they'd take a machine. I, I found a way to get one there for them. And we kind of took off from there. Okay. So this first machine and this, this very first, let's talk about this first week or maybe the, these first two weeks in which you've met, you've met someone who's in this industry. You've got your machine and it's time to pick a location. How do you do this? And, and you know, you picked a location in Kingwood. How did you go about doing that? And how did you know that it was the right? I mean, maybe I guess you didn't know it was the right location. It was just trial and error. But, you know, how did you find the location? Dude, I literally went to the strip malls and strip centers in, in Kingwood. And I started at the right-hand side. And I worked my way all the way through to the left. I love that. <laughs> and I literally knocked on every single door. And had a lot of no's, just like you do in any kind of career in sales or otherwise. But with those no's came the yeses. And so I didn't prejudge. I just set about working the numbers. And that location picked me. I didn't pick it. And, you know, built from there. I love it. And when you're and predominantly, are you dealing with locations who that already have vending machines and they're looking to maybe add to or replace? Or are you dealing with locations that never even considered the idea of having vending machines? It didn't matter to me because I was able to find there's after I got going and, and better understood the industry. You know, I not only had candy and gumballs at my disposal, I had stickers and temporary tattoos. I had capsule toys. I had all those different options. So if a location had one or two of those things, I could still put equipment there and offer something a little bit different that provided even more revenue for the location and an opportunity and a foot in the door for me. So I handled it on a location by location basis, depending on where I was and, and what they you know were looking for. What was the incentive of that first business owner to do business with you? You know, that first one, it was the key was I was paying attention. And here's what I mean by that. They had had a family there at the karate studio where one of the, I think they either had their house burned down or somebody was having to have an operation and they were trying to raise money for that family. 
So when I went in to talk to the to the location, I had por- I had partnered with MD Anderson's Children's Cancer Hospital, and so the benefit to a lot of the locations was the fact that we were helping support MD Anderson with our program. But in that case, I was like, listen, I would normally send the money to MD Anderson, but if you'd like, I'd be happy to send the money to this family that you guys are trying to support. And the fact that I was paying attention, the fact that I was willing to change things up midstream to benefit somebody within their community or within their tribe, I think is what really got the manager of the location excited. I wasn't trying to cookie cutter, you know, the exact same thing everywhere I went. And so he was excited that I'd be willing to help. And we got started from there. I love this. And, you know, we can end the episode right now. And it's been already truly inspirational. The way you've been able to go door knocking from door to door as an early entrepreneur, the way you've been able to pick up on keen things in in, in the environment and in conversations and kind of put together a, a deal with no prior experience. I think it's fascinating. And there's a lot to take away from your story already. So th- this is amazing. This is good stuff. So so this first deal, you know, you, you drop the vending machine off, you fill it up and, and, and you go home. What happens next? You come back two days later, three days later, and or, or you come back a week later and you notice your profits. Like, what's the aha moment in which you're like, okay, this is crazy. This is going to be able to work. And, you know, what's the very next thing that you do once you come back and you realize that this is a viable business option? So let me touch on something real quick, DeRay, that you mentioned. I can't stress enough, guys. You got to fake it till you make it. And I didn't have any idea what I was doing. But I went out there with enough confidence, not arrogance, but with enough confidence that I did know what I was doing until I found somebody that believed enough in in it to let me help them. And I didn't have a clue. I mean, I barely knew how to put the candy and the gumballs in that machine at the time (laughs) because I had just gotten it a couple days before. But you figure it out and you get busy. And, you know, here I am fast forward and 13 years later man, the quote-unquote expert, the quote-unquote guru in this space, well, I made it up from the very beginning like most of us do. So you're never going to have it all figured out. You know, there's always going to be questions in the back of your mind. There's always going to be insecurities. But the people that work through them are the ones that ultimately win. And you'll figure it out as you go. So get busy, get in the game because that's where you'll ultimately get your success and your expertise that you'll be able to provide for your family and live your dreams through. As far as that machine, after two weeks, I went, I collected all the quarters. If I remember right, I had like 25 bucks or something. Well, the machine itself was 36. So within a month and a half at the most, I had already paid for that equipment and I took every every penny that I got from that machine and I reinvested it in another one. And then I took the cash flow and then I reinvested it in another one. And then eventually I could buy three or four at a time and then eventually 10 at a time. And I didn't rob from my business. Every last penny was reinvested back into what was going to get me where I wanted to be. And that was the equipment. So too many people try to live off of something way too early instead of letting the baby grow on its own. So we lived off of my salary and my full-time income 
and that way our business could flourish. I, I remember several years in, you know, I was depositing, you know, thousands of dollars a quarters, you know, a week. And, and my wife was like, sweetie, when are we going to see some of that? Because we're still living in this 1200 square foot rental place in Kingwood. You know, we're st- the kids are stacked like cordwood in, in, in one bedroom, all three of them. And, you know, we got all this money flowing through and and it's not impacting us as a family at all yet. I said, sweetie, you got to You got to trust me on this. There's going to be a day if, if you let me keep doing what I'm doing, where all of that is going to change. And thankfully, she trusted me in my vision and saw that I was willing to do whatever it took and the work ethic necessary to make it happen. And she got out of the way supported me and let me do what I needed to do. And it wasn't too long later where, you know, we were making a couple of times more in my little vending business than I was making full time as an ad executive working 40 plus hour weeks. And things just kind of grew from there. Wow. Wow, man. That's fascinating. That's truly fascinating. And how are you, you know, with your full time job, how were you able to run your business at the same time? Or have you, is this where you started expanding and building the team. How, how were you able to kind of couple both in the in the early stages? DeRay, I've been a solopreneur the entire time up until about two, two and a half years ago. And that's finally when I started hiring some help. But at that time, at that time, I was a sales guy. So I had a little bit of control over my schedule. I was a top performer in the office and remained that way until the day that I left. In fact, my boss never had any clue I had something else going on and was floored when I put in my two weeks notice. In fact, he thought it was a midlife crisis and (laughs) asked if I wanted to asked if I wanted to take a sabbatical for three to six months to get my head straight. Nights and weekends, man. I was burning the candle at both ends. I'd get done with work and then I'd be out doing my thing, knocking on doors, placing equipment or servicing equipment. Um, you know, I I kind of always liken myself to a duck on water. You, know, you see that duck, it's it's out there on that majestic looking pond, quiet, peaceful, but underwater, that sucker is paddling like there's no tomorrow to keep that position where it's at. And and that's the way I was in my life. I was a duck on water and my business didn't take away from my career, but I also didn't let my career take away from my business. You know, there's a lot of folks that get themselves into a position and, you know, they're they're forced to sign their employment documents or whatever. And there's this, you know, no moonlighting clause and all that nonsense. Guys, I'll tell you what, you're going to have to make your own decisions, but that company could fire you tomorrow without even thinking about it. So because they don't owe you anything, you don't owe them anything. And they have no right to have any control over your free time. And as long as it doesn't take away from your full time, I give you permission to go do whatever you want to do or need to do to put things together for yourself. Love it, Matt. Love it. Well, let's say we have we have a, a bright pupil out there who's listening to the podcast now and who's like, man, I have no money. I have no way to invest in real estate or any of these other asset classes that people talk about. But this vending machine business seems very lucrative. And, you know, there's not a lot of startup costs to get involved. 
what would be your advice? Like, I know 13 years ago, we didn't have a lot of the the social platforms that we have now and the groups and the, you know, a lot of the uh, the online things. So, you know, in this present day for, for a young entrepreneur, what would you suggest? How would you suggest that they got started with something like that? Well, if you don't have the money, number one, sell some of your stuff, have a garage sale or do something. Or if you have to become an Uber or Lyft driver for a while. I mean, there's so many opportunities out there to make extra money on the side here to start a side hustle, even if it's on a very small scale. I've got a couple of my nephews who are in their 20s, live in the Fort Worth area. They all have, you know, rooms in their place that are listed on Airbnb and they've got guests staying with them all the time. That's not for me. I enjoy my privacy and I could not live with, you know, strangers coming in and staying in my house four or five nights a week, but it works for them. It helps them do some of the things that they want to do. Ultimately, you got to get creative and, you know, you got to mix things up a little bit and you'll figure it out. The key is Kiyosaki in his book talks about the difference between saying, I can't afford it and making that statement and then transitioning that statement to the question, how can I afford it? Many of us will turn our brain completely off by making the I can't afford it statement. If you change your language to how can I afford it, that gets your brain thinking and working on the problem. And eventually you'll figure it out. You know, there's been a lot of things that I couldn't afford over the years, but I figured out a way how to afford it by asking the second question instead of making the first statement. And there's more opportunity today than ever before with the tools available online, so many things you can do now for next to nothing. I know Gary Vaynerchuk, I don't know how familiar a lot of your audience is with Gary V. The guy's brilliant. I don't prescribe to his language and some of that stuff, but that's his thing, no big deal. But here's the thing, he talks about if you're an aspiring entrepreneur, you know, to get good at arbitrage online, meaning finding something at garage sales or whatever there locally, and then either using eBay or or some of the other online tools, Amazon or whatever, to turn around and sell it and make it make money between the two. I'll never forget. This was about probably eight or 10 years ago. It was the holidays. We were up here in Stephenville visiting family and the Hallmark stores around the country had come out with a James Taylor Christmas CD. And I bought a copy of the CD for myself because my wife and I have always loved his music. Well, in playing around online, I quickly figured out that there were people selling that James Taylor CD on, I think it was eBay, typically for $12 to $15. There were people buying it on Amazon for $25. So, I spent an entire holiday vacation playing arbitrage and essentially winning eBay auctions and then turning around and selling the exact same thing on Amazon and making 10 or 12 bucks a sale. I mean, I literally did whatever it took. And in many cases, you'll need to do the same, but you can do it. And guys, the sky is the limit if you're willing to start where you're at. Love it, Matt. I had a similar story a, a few years back using eBay and Amazon because I didn't I didn't know where to start. And you know, my my story is a bit different in that I I my first item was a was a Roomba a Roomba vac automatic vacuum one of those vacuums that kind of move around on their own. And 
I bought it on, I think, I think it was the exact opposite. I think I bought it on Amazon for maybe 200 bucks. And, you know, I, I read all these articles and these gurus and people were saying, yeah, people who shop on eBay, they don't really know that there's another world outside of eBay. So if you shop on eBay, you're not worried about price. You're not worried about anything else. You're worried about comfortability. You're worried about familiar, you know, being familiar with your environment. And if you shop on eBay, you're not going to leave eBay to go price shop. So posted that $200 automatic vacuum on eBay for $350 and it sold. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> this stuff is real. You know, I, I didn't pursue that business model too much longer. But again, alluding to your to your point, that goes to show you that there's ways to do things out here. And, you know, it just takes research. It takes hard work. It takes willpower. It takes determination. And that's something that you definitely have, Matt. So let's jump back into your story and figure out how you've built this empire from that, you know, from that first vending machine to date. Because I believe that first year, you probably tried to roll out maybe another 10 vending machines, seeing as, you know, seeing as though how lucrative the business was. So let's talk about how you've been able to build this empire now and, and talk, maybe even get to your before the millions goal. You raised over four million for education since inception. So I wanna I wanna get into that and figure out how you did that as well. So let's let's talk about how you, you've grown your business today. So by two thousand and seven or two thousand eight, I had about hundred and twenty five locations around the Houston area. I had jumped off into toys and temporary tattoos and stickers and that type of thing as well. And I just slowly but surely cobbled together a vending route getting used equipment and all that, eventually new equipment wherever I could. And with the tank in the market at that time frame, I got frustrated real quick because there were less people frequenting the businesses where I had my equipment. So the revenue numbers dropped off some. And right around that time, I had several young kids come knocking on my door, selling me stuff for the local school fundraisers. I didn't know the kids. Their parents weren't with them. So they were essentially going door to door to strangers' houses. And that struck me as odd because I had kids of the same age and there's no way I would have ever let my kids do that. But I was like, you know what? Kids are in school nine months out of the year, five days a week. I don't have to worry about the ups and downs of the economy and whether mom and dad are taking them to the local restaurant if I figure out a way to do work in schools. And since I had been in the print advertising space for a number of years at that point, I thought, man, wouldn't it be cool if we created custom stickers for schools with their mascot and their colors and all that? And then we placed sticker machines in the school and had a buddy of mine, actually October. So next month will be no, actually 10 years ago this month was when my buddy and I had that conversation. He was a high school uh, elementary PE teacher down in West Columbia Elementary, West Columbia, Texas. I told him my idea. He's like, man, let me talk to the principal at my school and see what she thinks. He got back to me a couple of weeks later and he said, hey, they love the idea. Bring a machine down. So October of 07, next month will be 10 years ago, we placed our first test school. I figured out how to custom design stickers for that school. And then we placed the machine. And the test numbers in the first three months were just off the charts. And I was like, holy smokes, I, I think I'm onto something. And then I went about trying to find other locations. I went back to the tried and true door to door method like I had done with my other vending, talked to a bunch of principals and all that. But 
I wasn't talking to folks that were really willing to get out, step out and try something new. And so because of that, none of them took me up on the idea. So I was frustrated and had a couple of buddies. We got to talk and I did some more searching online and, and found that the Texas PTA was having a conference in the Woodlands, Texas, which was about 30 minutes from me in Kingwood, about a month and a half later, called my buddy Jeremy and another friend, Shane, and said, hey, guys, we've been talking about this vending thing. You guys want to split the cost of a table? And they're like, yeah, man, sure. Why not? So I think it was 800 bucks for a table. We split the cost. I came up with a logo real quick. We had some cheesy t-shirts made. We had one set of the spirit stickers from West Columbia Elementary, and we had one of our machines set up there. And we showed up at this conference not having any clue what we were doing, making it up as we go once again. But out of that event, we had 10 PTA moms that got excited about what we were doing. And we added five schools in the San Antonio area and five in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And we're like, holy smokes, maybe we are onto something. And the thing has just slowly snowballed from there. Today, we're a franchise. We started franchising two years ago. We're in 2,500 schools and we'll be in over 3,500 here by the end of the school year. We've got 104 franchise families that we work with currently in about 43 states. And we're doing testing in Canada right now. And we'll, we'll be doing business there before long as well. And it's just crazy. Just, you know, one machine at a time and then and then being at the right place at the right time with an idea that we were willing to pursue and follow through with. Matt, that's amazing. How did you grow your team as the business grew? How did you grow your team? How did you start filling positions out? What was the first, I guess, maybe I don't know if it was a position that you hired or the first person that you partnered with and became a partner in the business. But how did you start growing that? Because I can imagine how you're you're all over the U.S. and, you know, your team has to be plentiful at this point. So where did that where did that all begin and, and how did how did it grow? You know, DeRay, one way you know that you're onto something is people start asking you if they can be a part. And that's what happened with me. Me and Jeremy and Shane each ended up getting started in different areas of Texas. And as this thing started growing a little bit, we had friends and family come to us and say, hey, can we do what you guys are doing? And that's what led me to realize that that we needed to start duplicating that with others. And I didn't want to own it all. I, I, I had no desire to own some massive company someday and have all the trappings and also, you know, be, you know, tied down time wise and otherwise to leading that company. So I was looking for people who are owners who wanted to be owners of their own thing in partnership with what we did. And so we came up with a distributorship model with a licensing agreement. And then we started teaching people who reached out how to do what we did in different parts of the country. And Slowly but surely, that word of mouth spread and the team continued to grow up until about two and a half years ago when I had hired a coach, a guy by the name of Aaron Walker out of the Nashville area. And he challenged me one day and said, man, you need to figure out a way to grow even bigger because do you have any idea how many schools there are out there that you're not in yet? And the only reason why you're not is they just don't know who you guys are. And consulted with my attorney. My attorney came back and said, Matt, based on where you are 
and the states and areas where you want to grow, you really need to become a franchise. So we adjusted the model, became a franchise. Our first franchisees got started two years ago, last month. And since then, we've added 65 franchise families, got a couple of more that are getting started next week to our business and have just absolutely taken off. Most of our growth today comes from people hearing me on shows like yours, DeRay, and they're excited about a business, but don't know how to get one started. They're looking forward to putting together a business where they and their family can be involved in, like like SSV gives them the opportunity to do. They're looking for passive income and a way to put together a business on the side of their full-time career. And it's been crazy, the response that we've gotten, because we fill all those needs with our program. I love that. And we're going to get into your program a little bit more, Mike, because I think it's very valuable. And, you know, some of the listeners maybe kind of want to get some of that information. But really quick, what is your competitive advantage over other vending machine companies and other, you know, some some vending machines have been in schools for the past 30 years. What is your pitch and how are you able to kind of, you know, steal away, uh, I guess, you know, for lack of a better term, steal away money from the competition? That's the beauty of it. We're not. Because we sell stickers, the other vending machines sell sodas and all that. And in today's day and age, the only place they can be in is like school break rooms and all because the government outlawed, you know, snack and soda companies from being accessible to kids in, in public buildings like that. So we're in a completely different niche. We help with the fundraising aspect of the school. Most schools are tight when it comes to money and are always in need of funds. and they also are having a challenge finding volunteers to help run and, and raise money. And we step in and help fill a need in both those roles. And school after school after school around the country has been willing to embrace what we do. We also do a lot of customization that nobody else out there in vending does. We do custom stickers for the school. We customize the machine the little cardboard folders that stickers come come out of the machine in that are required for the mechanism to actually push the sticker out. We actually print on those and provide educational games and inspirational messaging and all that to the kids on top of the sticker that they buy. There's a lot of things that we do. We, we've got an entire media arm of what we do where we're providing audio and video content to the schools, not only to help promote our program, but also to help change the lives and impact the kids in the schools that we work in in a positive way. So we are so much more than just a sticker machine and the schools recognize that and are grateful for all the added effort that we put into what we do. That's amazing. I'm sorry. I'm in awe. I've, I've just never interviewed somebody like you or a niche like this. So I'm, I'm really, truly taken away. And you've been able to carve out carve out your own niche in, in, in the vending machine game. Like that's phenomenal. And I wish we can talk about it for the next 30 minutes to an hour, but, you know, moving on just a little bit, Matt, let's, let's talk about, you know, SSV and, you know, if you're able to kind of maybe talk about these two things at the same time, go ahead. If not, we'll, we'll break it down into two different questions, but let's talk about, you know, maybe your, your, a success story from one of your franchisees and walk through their process from, I think you, you, your first 
your first takers were last year or the year before, as you mentioned, and they're coming up on a year or two now. So let's maybe walk through their process or maybe another uh, success stories process and how they've been able to benefit from your business and maybe kind of talk to the listeners about if they want to get started with you guys, what's the process like? What do they have to do? Where do they have to go? How much do they have to pay? Things of that nature. Yeah. So one of the reasons why you get started in a franchise is because they've already figured it out. And all you have to do is duplicate the systems that have already been figured out. So, you know, with 10 years experience, we kind of know the space that we're in. We understand what schools are looking for. We know how to work in and out of the schools. And we've, of course, catered our program over the years to fit their needs. So our very first franchisees two years ago, as an example, they got started. They actually live here local to me. But the only territory we had available at that point in time was five and a half hours away in the Tulsa, Oklahoma area. But they were excited about the opportunity. He was about to retire from a 32-year career at Lockheed Martin over in Fort Worth and was looking for something to do in his retirement. And so SSV was a great fit. Since they got started, just by following our program, we teach folks how to market to the schools. We teach them how to answer questions. You know, we teach them all the background and provide opportunities for learning on a monthly basis for folks. They have, I think, just placed their 82nd and 83rd school, um, which that took me five or six years to accomplish. And they've done it in less than two. To give you an idea of the type of support that we offer, Duray, we have a mentorship program where they get linked up with one of the veterans on the team for a six-month period of time. In fact, that veteran even goes with them into their territory for a couple of days and helps them get the word out to schools in their area. On top of that, I'm actually a podcaster myself. I do two shows a week, private shows just for our franchise team which consists of 104 families today. So talk about niche as far as podcasts are concerned. But we bring in outside experts. We interview successful franchisees on the team. I've got a show called SSV Tips where all I do is talk on a topic for five to 10 minutes without any guests, sharing information on success in general, but also on what we do in the schools and, and on vending itself. We have monthly masterminds with each region in the country that I lead. So everybody has an opportunity to get on for there to be a flow of information and for, for them to have a voice and an opportunity to talk to the owner at least monthly directly to get questions or concerns or whatever answered and insights from that. We do monthly webinars where we're teaching on a variety of different topics and we have folks come in to do that. We've got an entire online community similar to Facebook for our franchisees that they can get on and ask each other questions and provide support and share success stories and all that. So we put a lot into this and there is a ton of support for our team. So even though they're in business for themselves, they're not in business by themselves. And that environment and that community that we've created has been instrumental in the success that we have. As far as getting started, we have a, an interview process that gets conducted via video conference over the span of a month and a half to two months, typically. 
It gives us the opportunity to get to know them, gives them the opportunity to get to know us as we kind of talk through the program and how it works and all the ins and outs and answer all their questions. Along the way, there's something called the Franchise Disclosure Document that is a government-sanctioned document we're required to present as a franchisor to any prospective franchisees. And it outlines all the ins and outs of what we do, the legal relationship that we would end up entering into should we decide to do business together and all of that. And then at the end of the process, they have an opportunity to reach out to a bunch of the franchisees on the team and pick their brains. So they're not just hearing from us that are quote unquote selling the franchise. They're hearing from folks on the team that have been there, done that and are succeeding and get a chance to pick their brains, ask them any questions that they want to ask. As far as cost, to give you an idea, the typical franchise today costs about, in in America, costs about $150,000. That's 150,000 reasons why I didn't have a typical franchise myself. Our startup is less than 20,000 for somebody to get started. Half of that is product and equipment for their first several schools. So we keep it as affordable as we possibly can because we really want to provide that opportunity for families or individuals around the country who have a desire to help local schools while developing passive income for themselves. So these days, Mike, I'm presuming that your wife is no longer giving you or talking in your ear, telling you that, you know, this, that, and the third, and I don't know what's going on, but she's actually very, very fulfilled and happy. Is that correct? (laughs) Yeah, we're doing all right. I mean, we've got the ability to come and go as we please. Ironically, we're a homeschool family, so we've homeschooled our kids from the very beginning, and our two oldest are in college now. Our youngest is a junior in high school, so she's got another two years of overseeing and supervising Rebecca's education. But then we're empty nesters. And so we're excited about that stage in life. But we like to travel here and there and do some of those kind of things. And, you know, we now have the freedom to do that. We live on six acres, like I said, out here in EIEIO. (laughs) We raise animals. We've got a huge vegetable garden. We can see the stars at night. And it's just, you know, very, very peaceful. And, you know, we're just grateful for the blessings that God's given us in our lives and and the the willingness to work and work hard and to follow our dreams and inspiration in the greatest country in the world, the U.S. of A. Love it. Love it. Love it. Mike, you touched on it earlier. You, You were talking about vending machines and you were talking about the types that would be in schools and what's no longer allowed. And you know, not too long ago, I was in high school or middle school, and I can't remember which one it was. But yeah, we definitely had some weird and I don't know if you know about it, but we had some weird transition in which we had, you know, all these nice machines like Fruitopia. I don't know if you remember Fruitopia, but we had like all these nice snacks and things of that nature. And all of a sudden, you know, one day we show up in school and all the big Texas cinnamon rolls are gone and they're replaced with like Raisin Bran and, and trail mix and things like that. What was that about? That was the government coming in and basically saying that in the interest of curbing obesity in the U.S., that companies were no longer to sell junk food and sodas in public buildings like like schools to kids. So that's why that transition occurred. It, it, it was because the government mandated 
that if that kind of equipment was going to be in the school, it had to be healthy stuff and not stuff that was bad for you. And at the time that 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 maybe, you know, that that hurt your business in the sense that that's what you were you were vending or that that helped your business because, you know, you you never were, were vending those those types of food items. It definitely helped. You know, there's no calories in a sticker. So <laughs> so because of that, it actually ended up helping. Okay. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, Mike, this has been an amazing show thus far, and I hate to see you go, but it's getting close to, to that time. So before we transition over to our last segment, I quickly want to talk about some new products that you may have rolling out. I believe that you're finishing up or you're starting on a new course. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, I've had so many, I've had literally thousands of people, DeRay, in the last few years reach out wanting to either learn about the franchise or just to learn about vending. And so this next week, we're actually going to be making available for the first time a course. It's called The Secrets to Vending Passive Income. It can be found at vendingsecrets.net by the time this interview goes live. And it's essentially my 13 years of experience in the vending world put into, you know, a simple course so that folks can duplicate what I've learned how to do for themselves in their, in their area. There's a lot of ins and outs, ups and downs that it took me years to figure out. And with the course, it's going to enable people to, to take a shortcut in that regard. For those that are interested in learning more about what I do and, and some reasons why vending might make sense to them, I actually wrote a short ebook. It's called Live Your Dreams, The Top 10 Reasons Why You Need to Own a Vending Business. And they'll be able to go to ssvbusiness.com slash millions and download that for free. And then we can start a dialogue from there if they like. Love it. Love it. I love the link, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> The best real estate investing advice ever show is literally the only daily podcast that I subscribe to. And now I'm prescribing for you. The world's longest running daily real estate podcast. That's unprecedented. Visit joefearless.com slash show for the back catalog. Enjoy. You are listening to the Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions podcast. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? I mean, it's got to be Rich Dad, Poor Dad. A close second would be How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. An oldie, but a goodie. If you haven't read it, you have got to read it. Love it. Love it. Second question. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions in order to get to where you are today? You know, a couple things, Dre, time and money. We lived, you know, on next to nothing for years and reinvested every last penny that we could in our business. We delayed gratification for a, a long, long, long time. We drove old cars. We still drive old cars. You know, we lived in a rental house when all of our friends, quote unquote, owned houses and that type of thing. And then time-wise, I got creative with three kids. A lot of the time that they spent with daddy there for a few years was time helping me with the vending business, whether it be putting machines together, whether it be us going out and servicing or placing locations. 
I would bring them along. We'd hang out together. You know, we'd, we'd stop at a, a favorite restaurant or whatever during the course of all that. But we turned business into family time there for a while because I, I couldn't do it all unless I got creative. I love that. I love that. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Well, obviously my family, my wife especially, trusting me and being in my corner through it all. Amy is is a saint and I'll be forever grateful for her and her support. You know, otherwise, my coach that I hired three years ago, Aaron Walker, I'm eternally grateful for him because with 35 plus years of experience in business, being a multi-multi-millionaire, etc. He was just able to look at things from an outsider perspective and challenge me on my thought process in a couple of areas. And him challenging me was ultimately what led to the success that we have today, because I looked at things differently and it spurred us on. How did you find him? I actually met him at a Dave Ramsey Entree Leadership course in Nashville three and a half years ago. I don't know if you're familiar with Dave at all, but He's got a radio show. I think it's the third largest third largest talk radio show in the country. Yep. And Aaron ended up being his second advertising client on the radio 20 years ago. So Aaron and Dave are, are best friends. And he just happened to be at that event as a guest of Dave's. And when we got to know each other during that week and and when I left, I was like, man, I've got to find a way to get around this guy. And about eight months later, hired him as a coach and you know, things have never been the same. Lovely, lovely. Why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? Too many people, DeRay, are thinking about getting ready to get ready to get ready to get ready to get ready to start instead of just getting in the game. You got to jump in with both feet. Like I talked earlier in the interview, make it up as you go. You'll figure it out. But that idea that you've got that you've been sitting on for the last three years, it's probably wrong. Or there's probably some changes that you'll need to make to it in order for it to be successful. But you'll never figure that out until you get in the game and, and let the customers speak. I initially thought our program was going to be for high school students with with temporary tattoos and stickers for football games and basketball games and all that. And what we found out when we got in the game is that the older kids didn't interact with our machines, but the younger kids absolutely went nuts over it. So we pivoted. And most of our business is, is in elementary schools today, not high schools and junior highs. I would have never known that if I was still sitting around dreaming about success in business instead of getting in the game and figuring it out. Love it. Love it. Love it. Great way to end out the show. So yeah, Matt, thank you for sharing your before the million story and going through, you know, your life journey with us. I think it's been spectacular. I think it's been amazing. And you've been able to inspire others. If there's, you know, if any listeners want to reach out to you, get in contact with you, learn a bit more about you and your business and how to get started or, or just need some advice, how do they reach out to you and your company? Like I mentioned a, a few minutes ago, DeRay, they can either go to ssvbusiness.com forward slash millions or go to vendingsecrets.net and they can reach out to me at either place. And hopefully what I've learned over the last 13 years or so can be of value to them in one way, shape or form. Love it. Love it. Well, Matt, that, that's been amazing. And we'll talk to you 
on the flip side. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Trey. Appreciate you, man. God bless. Wow. Another amazing episode, guys. I was thoroughly entertained and I got a lot of value from that. I hope you guys did too as well. As usual, this is the time for our newly acclaimed five-star reviews. Thank you all for leaving five-star reviews. The five-star review of the week this week was a hard choice, but it's going to go to Altramise. And she says that this podcast is informative, intriguing, and immediately useful. In one sentence, this podcast is a goldmine full of investing tips. DeRay provides an entertaining podcast that will entice listeners regardless of their expertise. BTM is the one perfect combination of guest interviews, ideas, and DeRay's own personal touch, which makes the podcast a must-listen for all interested in financial freedom. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you all for your five-star reviews. If you haven't yet left one, I need you to leave one ASAP in iTunes, and it's you know one of the best ways that we kind of relate to iTunes that we're doing some things here and we're shaking things up and making things happen. So you know the more the more we show that our listeners are, are receiving value, the more that they want to expose our podcast to more people and, and kind of, you know, put us in the forefront. So definitely, definitely not only share, but leave a rating and review. It goes a long way. Aside from that, guys, I'm I'm all done here. If you guys want to stick around, you can. Matter of fact, you should. Maybe you should go in the vault and download some of our back catalog episodes. Start from episode zero, zero and you know, that's an episode that I like a lot. I, <laughs> you know, just work your way up. I think that all our guests have been amazing and I still go back and listen to some of these episodes and I take away something new every single time. It's crazy, but yeah, I definitely scroll through all the episodes that we have so far. We're kind of building, you know, building a base now, you know, we're at 15 episodes and pretty soon, you know, we'll be, yeah, we'll be rocking and rolling. So anyways, that's all we have for today's show. And you haven't already subscribed and if you have then you'll get a download next tuesday for next tuesday's episode it's going to be amazing i'm not going to let the cat out the bag just yet but just know you need to tune in because yeah got some fire coming out all right see y'all next week the millionites have emerged from the depths of humanity to alter our trajectory for the betterment of humanity. These are their chronicles. <laughs>